0: Oh, that's impossible, surely. You still don't get it, do you, Ebony? What's that a get? You want me to suffer. I'd do the same to you, except... you're not worth it. No. That's too easy. I want you to beg for mercy. Then I'll let you go. Don't waste your time. Begging's not that difficult. Just think back to all those times you made some poor loco. Beg for mercy. Just for kicks. You made some poor slave boy grovel for some stupid tin of cat food. Begging's easy.
1: I guess you'd know, Spike.
0: So welcome to Series 2, Episode 26 of Conversation on the Eagle Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. I'm your host Lance, and joining the podcast panel today is Liz. Hello. And Sabine. Hi. With episode notes done by Matt and myself so series 2 episode 26 the screenplay was done by david fox it was directed by colin mccall and the episode synopsis was read out by liz
2: jack and ellie revel in their new relationship and the peace in the city sparks optimism in the rest of the tribe too but with the Mallrats struggling to contain the rumors about the antidote it may be short-lived danny takes drastic action to maintain the status quo while Ebony finds the tables have turned.
0: So we kick things off at the heart of the matter with a discussion amongst the farm girls and volunteers concerning the antidote and how it is no longer required. The situation is summed up quite succinctly, it is no longer needed, then why are the moorats lying to them all? As such, the group confront Dow and quit. So panel, with the obvious evidence that the state of the virus citywide is known to have disappeared, why do you think the moorats haven't gotten the jump of the situation and confess before it all spirals completely out of control?
2: I don't know. (laughs) I can only assume that by this point, all they care about is staying in control and makes it so that they're not thinking clearly beyond just wanting to keep their control and not what would be best for everybody. Um, And it's consistent with how they've handled every conflict that they've had
1: since season two has started. Yeah, I I have to agree with that because it's just... It's rather stupid that they're doing this. But yeah, wanting to keep control might just be the only explanation there is. Because why on earth are they being so stupid as to not tell everyone so they could, you know, keep them on the good side? Yeah,
0: it's that's, that's what gets me. Like, okay, whatever the reason is for doing this in the first place, like the genie's out of the bottom now. It's so, like the best thing to do would be To confess and tell the city, and obviously say it was for the greater good and get them on your side so that you can still maintain some control. But by not confessing at this point, they're making it worse. (laughs) Like they're not thinking it through. Yeah,
1: because they could have gotten away with just saying, Look, we wanted to wait a little longer before saying this because we needed to be sure. No, they could have still gotten away with that at this point. But just by waiting longer and continuing to lie, they're digging their own grave much, but they've already proven that they
2: don't care about how anyone else feels. They don't care about protecting anybody else. They don't care about what's doing, doing what's best for anybody else. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely selfishly motivated and wanting to ignore anything that could actually be a problem. That's what they've been doing, too. I, I'm not surprised. Again, it's con- completely consistent with how they've handled everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just the mm-hmm. writer's Like, okay, the writers need the Mallrats to fail at this leadership Mm -hmm. thing. Like, that's, at the end of the day, it's what has to happen. They have to not succeed at it. So this is their attempts of showing why they won't succeed, which even though the Mallrats come across as, you guys are really dumb, I at least like the fact that the writing is showing why they're going to fail at being leaders, whereas, for example, They weren't supposed to find Brady, but they didn't even bother Mm -hmm. to show the kids trying and failing to find Brady. So it was just frustrating. This, at least, I'm like, I can see why this is all going to fall apart. Um, I I do think it's very concise. There's a message here. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, it's frustrating, because you're like, you guys, you know, you are in a great position to do good things for this city and to help people, Um, but it's not enough to just do a few good things and pat yourself on the back and say, oh my gosh, look what we're doing. We're such great people and you know we can really fix things and this makes me feel so good and warm and gushy inside. When it's like, you need to talk to these people in the city. You have the opportunity. Okay, I will give you a pass when it comes to the Bill of Rights. You were trying to strike while the iron was hot. You were scared of missing your chance, fine. But you've got people actually following your rule of law and cooperating. So don't screw that up by burning them, you know? It's like earn their trust and like talk to them. And like Sabine said it perfectly, you could still get away with having sat on this for a couple weeks by saying you didn't want to endanger anybody by putting out misinformation before. You were sure that no one needed the antidote or whatever, you know? But yeah, they're not trying to get on top of this. They don't care what's going they're not listening to anybody else their reaction to finding out that the p- people in the city don't believe them has more to do with crap we're losing control rather than like oh this is how they feel you know we should actually consider that this is how they're feeling and what can we do about that you know like they're not upset that they're lying to these people they're not upset that the people are li- upset at them for lying to them all they hear about is crap what happens if they don't listen to us anymore we, what do
0: we do you know and just reminded me, Bray makes a really weird comment. He's saying, like, mm-hmm. why don't they trust us <laughs> while they listen to me?" Mm-hmm. It's like, because you're lying at your teeth, guys.
2: Though <laughs> mm-hmm. so I do like that moment. It's pretty self-aware because um, <laughs> it does come back. It's kind of a pattern in the tribe where I thought it was funny that Dal says they'll believe anything someone tells them to. And I'm like, yeah, you guys do the same freaking thing. <laughs> Anytime, Mm -hmm. like, a strong voice says something with conviction, you frickin' believe it. Um, But I did think it was funny, that Bray was
1: like, well, then why don't they believe us? I
2: was like, okay, that was a nice self-aware joke. I liked that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Bray is just, you know, he's so used to being believed just by what he says and by batting his eyelashes. He should know by now that sometimes people want the truth. It does make me sad to see Bray so fully removed
2: from where he was in season one because Mm -hmm. season one Bray made some mistakes, but he did have integrity, you know, like he wasn't hurting people on purpose. He wasn't hurting Trudy on purpose. He wasn't like, I don't care. This is just fun for me. Mm -hmm. because I play her and Celine. You know what I mean? That's not what he was doing. He was a confused boy in a really complicated situation. And he tried to tell Trudy the truth. It just wasn't what she wanted to hear. It was really difficult. But he had integrity in season one, you know? And I don't feel like he has any in season two. And yet he still keeps playing it like, I'm a good guy. Like, why can't people just work with me and listen to me? And it's like, because you're a terrible person, Bray. I know you don't want to believe that, but that's what you've become, But, I mean, that's what people do. They Their slide into awfulness can be so subtle and gradual that they don't realize that they're now the bad guy. And listening to him and Danny talk, they really don't see it. They do not see Mm -hmm. how horrible they are and just trying to pat themselves on the back and make themselves feel better about everything they're doing and complimenting each other and just living in their bubble. We're so altruistic and we've made the world better and kids are so happy and completely ignoring anything else. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, you're not good people. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, but you're not. And that's why nobody's listening to
1: you. (laughs) And I'm still annoyed that so many of the mall rats apparently agreed with the them on this. Even Tysan. Oh, Who in season one was always, well, let's just tell the people everyone, even though they might not want to know it. Now she's like, no, no, keep our power. Keep our power. That's more important. I don't know what, I
2: don't know what's going through her head, but I agree with you. Like it does seem like everybody is just very on board with this. Um again, we have talked about how the fact that the mall rats do they don't want to make these decisions for themselves. They want someone they can trust to decide for them. Mm-hmm it's a matter of, um, it can be mob mentality. It can be just a sense of family loyalty. You know, we've, I I think everybody at some point in their life has been a part of a group or a family where you kind of stuck with them, even when they were doing something you didn't agree with, you know, and, um, like you were completely against it. You didn't think it was right. You may have enabled some bad behavior of theirs because they're your family or they're your loved one or they're your team, you know? And, um, so I can't really judge them too much for it. I do see how it can slide in. And again, mob mentality is definitely a thing. And, uh, mm-hmm. you can convince good people to do bad things as long as you make them think that what they're doing is good. And the mall rats have succeeded at this, like, really well. Convincing themselves that what they're doing is good. So, that's what they tell themselves when they go to bed at night. Like, we're making the world a better place. You know, we're using our power to help other people. So it's not a problem that we have it it's not a problem that we're lying it's not a problem that <laughs> we're dictating any, everybody you know because we're doing good right of course because we wouldn't be doing something bad we're not bad people so yeah what we're doing must be fine because we're good people and we want to do good things and
0: there you go <laughs> okay let's move on to the couple of the hour
1: yeah yeah. couldn't sleep I thought I'd um, take a walk
0: outside why? I don't know I suppose, I suppose I like the lights, don't you? I, I think they're beautiful. I hadn't really thought about them. Despite everything. It's a wonderful world, isn't it? Meanwhile, Jack and Ellie are now officially a couple and are taking great delight in their fledgling romance, talking with each other over walkie-talkies at night and in Jack's case, offering to do Ryan's guard duty out of sheer happiness. So, panel, how do you find Jack and Ellie in this episode? Is it all too disgustingly sweet, or do you find it to be very cute?
1: I have to say it, even I found this very cute, even though there's some little parts that annoy me. Jack's happiness is just such a fun thing to see. (laughs) But the fact that he's willing to use batteries for the walkie talkies for talking with Ellie, who's You know, just a couple of steps away. That annoys (laughs) me. She really is. She's literally two doors down from him. Yeah!
2: (laughs) Oh Oh my god. I mean, it
1: it, it felt very, very teen romance. That's true. No, you hang up. (laughs)
2: I ain't going to lie. You guys know that I have not been Jack's biggest fan this season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've had a hard time reining in my Jack hatred, but you know what? This is freaking cute. Mm-hmm. I can't help it. It's adorable. This was well-written. It's well-acted. Um, we don't have to see their happiness at the expense of someone else's misery, at least in this episode. You know what I mean? There's no scene where mm-hmm. Jack and Ellie are benefiting from their happiness and we have to watch, like, Dal in the background be sad. You know what I mean? Like, it's not juxtaposed to anything like that. It's just the two of them enjoying their newfound romance. So it works. Mm. They're, they're super cute. Their chemistry is great. I, I think it's adorable. I couldn't help it. I was like, all right, I like you this, this episode, Jack. But it's mostly Ellie. I, I mostly like Ellie. But they're cute together. <laughs> I've been there, it's adorable <laughs> I'm glad you have it Yeah, You can go ahead, it's cute
1: and Just the look on Jack's face When he takes over that guard duty From Ryan <laughs> I love the moment With the hockey talkies Ellie's like, are
2: you still there? He's like, yes <laughs> oh <my> god <laughs> Alright, you two You two need to stop it Surf is coming out of my VCR Cut it out Oh my gosh, they're so good. and it, the lighting, the, like it's really beautiful. Yeah, the way it's lit, you know, and the way their their body language and oh my gosh, it's precious.
0: Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love um, Big Sister Alice coming in and. Oh. <laughs> oh. <Yeah>. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I think he's <it's> yummy too.
1: <laughs>
2: I think yes, I love that. I love it so much it reminded me so much of the way my mother was with me when I was young and infatuated, you know, and what I really just want is her validation of how I feel. You know, I'm a child and I've never felt this way before. And I don't want my mom to tell me that I'm too young to feel this, or I don't know what I'm thinking. Cause I'm just a child. I want her to tell me this is beautiful. And the way Alice's body language is with her sister and the way she's talking to her, And how much she's had to take on that motherly role for her sister. I Mm can see my mom doing the exact same thing. You know what I mean? And sitting on the bed and just the validation of how I feel and oh my gosh, Alice, you are the most wonderful person. I I am forever falling in love with this woman all the time. I think he's yummy too.
1: Like, oh (laughs) Uh, and then her saying that, yeah, well, I can't say anything about this. Because my choice, my taste in men is crappy as well. I thought that
2: was a very honest uh, yeah. reflection of, yeah, like, when Ellie's like, I know he's not, like, what you'd consider a hot guy. Like, that self-awareness mm-hmm. that when we're young and we like somebody, you know, we are aware. Like, what would the world, how would the world see mm-hmm. our crush? You know, we know whether or not the world yeah. would see our crush as a hottie. Or not, you know, and we may even feel the need. I know I did this at Ellie's age feeling like I needed to explain that, you know, I know he's not like super tough or anything, but he's a really sweet guy or whatever, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. I had one boyfriend who looked really, really young. Like, super young. We were both 15, but everyone would joke and say he looked like he was nine. He was just, <laughs> no I mean, like, he was short, and he still had a baby face, and he got it all the time. And I remember having to say, like, at 15, I'm like, yeah, I know he's not, you know, your, your typical guy, but he's so sweet, you know, or whatever, like, and... I felt very real Ellie saying that. Mm-hmm. I, like, I know he's a nerd, but, you know, and, and looking to her sister to be like, but you think he's cute. Please tell me you think he's cute, right? You know? And, mm-hmm. and I, I was like, I just love the reality in that. And yeah, it's just, it's a tender moment. And Jack, I love Jack on the fountain. Just thought, I can, I can see the leaves and the stars and colors for the mm-hmm. first time. <laughs> It was a nice contrast, um, because you have Ellie and Jack in their first blossom of love, where it's just Mm -hmm. like, all you see are stars in your eyes, and then you have uh, Celine and Ryan on the stairs, who are an older reflection of love, where there's responsibilities Mm -hmm. and things that have to be taken care of. They can't spend all night staring at each other's eyes, they've got stuff to do, you know, and they discuss that responsibly and stuff, and... I love how Jack says You know I'll take over guard duty I'm sure Celine will be Waiting for you (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was so cute And again I I can't get over The lighting It's just so Freaking beautiful And dreamy Everything looks gorgeous In this lighting Oh my gosh The twinkle lights The colors are so Warm and vibrant I want to be there You know Mm
1: -hmm. Well Jack agreed On those twinkle lights (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm normally not one to be a fan of Jelly, but in this epi- episode, they're
0: just absolutely adorable. <laughs> yep. Okay, so the day after, Ryan begins his first day as a teacher, and he shows a real aptitude for it, quickly establishing order in an unruly class, and even going as far as impressing Lex. Um, so yeah, Panna, what did you make of Ryan as a teacher?
2: I'm just going to say it right now competent ryan is sexy af he could teach Mm -hmm. me any day oh Uh, no i agree (laughs) like please show me my alphabet daddy oh my
1: goodness (laughs) (laughs) it's like he was born to
2: do that the confidence from him Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: i was
2: like you go boy (laughs) oh my goodness Oh, yeah, it it was great. It was wonderful, especially since I think now I wasn't here for last episode. But what I remember from that episode was that there was Ryan volunteering to help Celine teach school was meted. Sorry, it was met with a sort of like, really, Ryan? Could Mm -hmm. Ryan (laughs) actually do something like this? And I never liked that. You know what I mean? That uh, even Celine would look at him like, "Really, sweetie? You think you could do something like that?" And so it sets up the audience to not know what to expect from Ryan in the classroom. So when he comes in and just takes over, <laughs> I'm like, "Wow, <laughs> you know, that was a really nice flip of what we expected to see from Ryan." You know, um, even if you expected that he might be kind of good at it, you were not expecting this assertiveness. Mm-hmm. and certainty and confidence to come out of him from the minute he walked in he didn't even have to find his sea legs you know he came in surfing he knew exactly what to do and and Celine was stunned speechless she was like you wait till we get home tonight boy
0: <laughs> yeah i got nothing else to add that i was just, yeah brilliant. yeah his confidence his swagger <laughs> he just walked into the <laughs> eyes <like>, yep <"Yeah." laughs> My name's Ryan, and you're going to sit down. This do I have to say? <laughs> yep. I will Brilliant.
1: absolutely call you, sir, whatever you say. Mm-hmm. And it makes such a nice change from how they made us view Ryan in season one, and how a lot of people view Ryan still. You know, because he's often described and seen as not so bright. Hmm. Then you have a moment like this, and you can just see. See, He's a patient person He can teach people things you know, He's very capable in the things He can do I thought that there was something interesting about what he's
2: saying To the kids Like He's not coddling these children And again, these are mm-hmm. young children And I yeah. can understand why the instinct would be to coddle them And handle them with kids' gloves When they're like literally feral children Who've been left to their own devices Since the world ended They can't be blamed for how messed up they are You know, so I can understand why someone wouldn't want to take a heavy hand with them, you know, and just you're trying to gently coax them into doing what needs to be done. Um, But I do think there was something about the way Ryan managed to balance the uh, authority these kids were desperate to have in their life while at the same time, as soon as he got their attention, he was capable of being completely gentle Mm -hmm. with them, you know, and that's what these kids need. You know what I mean? There isn't anyone who's come in and, and taken their hand with the proper guidance of a parent. And kids need assertiveness from a parent with the gentleness. You can't just, and you know, you know, these kids have suffered either war, but they rarely ever get both in a proper package. So seeing Ryan mm-hmm. being the one who's capable of doing that. Um, I, I also got the sense that Ryan, when he's looking at these wild children, <laughs> what he's saying to them specifically, uh, it says something about what, Um, programs ryan has been forced to go through as a child
0: yeah
2: -hmm. Uh, i mean he was in boot camp for a reason we don't know why he was there but he was there for a reason he was spoken to this way you know he's used to authorities having to strip him down yell at him get him in line um so i thought that was interesting too just a hint at where ryan has come from Mm -hmm. and Knowing how, oh, I know what these kids need. You know what I mean? know they need to be brought under heel immediately. And then I can be nice to them. I can be gentle to them once I let them know. These are the rules. This is the deal. I don't need you here again to freak out my classroom if you ain't gonna act right. <laughs> you know? And then when he admits later, I was actually kind of hoping half of them would leave. Right? And you were so freaking cute. Uh, <laughs> he was like, reverse what? <laughs> I've never heard
1: of that. There's just... One teeny tiny thing that always annoyed me about this scene, though, when he's teaching the kids and he says that part where birds cry as they fly through the sky, <laughs> he's
2: spelling it yeah. wrong. No, he, he, he doesn't actually spell it wrong. It's the camera angle. It looks wrong. And you, everybody in the comment section had a problem with it, too. It was hilarious. Everyone's like, yeah, everyone notice how Ryan spells cry wrong. <laughs> but he
1: does. It's a it, K. It's, it's clearly a, a K. It's a C. It's a C. No, it's not. It's just a, it's the, it's the shape of the C. It looks like a K. I was trying to send you the screenshot but it's too big. <laughs> it's okay. It's a, you can have it, sweetie. Let it go.
2: It's all right. It's a K. Which is actually kind of cute. <laughs> what do you think about it? Yeah. <laughs> That's actually super adorable. Um. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what bugs me about the class, like the school thing. I mean, aside from it bugs me that the Rats are in charge of all of these things, but I'm not talking about it this episode, it bugs me that Chloe and Patsy aren't getting much of an education here. Um, I understand the one-room classroom setup that you often have to stagger your lessons for the different ages, but this is Mm -hmm. not an appropriate lesson for Patsy and Chloe. Like, they're, uh, like, 11 years old, and this is lessons for five and six-year-olds. So, while it's perfect for the rest of the kids in the class, poor Chloe and Patsy, like, why are they even here? This is pointless for them. And um, if you weren't prepared to have to stagger your teachings to accommodate all of the ages of the kids Mm -hmm. and all their abilities, you know, I I just, that bugs me. It really does bug me that Patsy and Chloe stand out in this classroom. Well, I'm bravo to Ryan and his lesson and it looks great. It's perfect for the other kids. It's not for Chloe and Patsy. They should have been doing other work, you know, like here, you Mm -hmm. guys work on these equations or something while I work with the other kids or you guys work on your English, here's an English assignment tailored for you while I, you know, do Mm -hmm. this with the younger kids. So that is something that did bug me, and it's a problem with their entire education system and their government system and everything. But
0: minor <laughs> it's gripe, a show because I it's something we mentioned last week. Like the way the kids are just handled in general, it, it's just not right. <laughs> They're always spoken down to, and I don't know the, the, the emotional level. The way it's targeted is very weird. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I, it's weird.
1: I can kind of understand. You know, um, assuming their emotional level is lower than their actual age at this point with everything they've been through, but their intelligence level is not. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, these kids could be behind emotionally, but they're, they're not suddenly five years younger.
2: The only thing I can say that I find relatable about how the kids' education has been handled because Amber did the exact same thing with the girls back in season one. Mm-hmm. Was giving them lessons that seemed a little below what they should have already known or studied in school. Um, I can forgive her for that because she probably didn't know what can you guys do, you know. But I do think it says something. Um, when I first tried to start homeschooling my son, because I was going to be that mom, you guys, <laughs> like, like, I can handle it all myself. I'm going to make muffins and I'm going to macrame and teach my children at home, guys. Um, before I realized that no, I can't. That's not me. Sorry, <laughs> I can't do it. I was like, I was really good at focusing on the like preschool kindergarten stuff, super Mm -hmm. good at that stuff, but anything more challenging was actually beyond my level. I didn't know how to teach my son this more challenging stuff, stuff that he, Mm -hmm. that would challenge him. I didn't know how to get him to do it, you know? Um, And so he fell behind in his first year of school. Fortunately, he was able to catch up very easily, but It's because of me. I did not have the skill set to teach him. I didn't know. I have all these books and I don't know how to teach him. I don't know exactly what he should be learning. And it does make sense to me that teenagers would not know how to teach younger children. Like, where do we even begin? They didn't have any school books. You know, they don't have a curriculum. They're just like, do you guys know how to read? (laughs) Can you count? Can you add? Like, that's as far as you can think. So I do think there is a realism to it that they're so young They don't even know where to begin to teach these younger kids. And, I mean, Mouse didn't even get an education from them. They just gave up. Like, can you spell your name? Good. You're fine. That's all you need.
0: No, that's pretty understandable. Yeah. But it's when you add Chloe and Patsy into the mix. It's like... uh, yeah, their education level is a lot. Is a lot higher than that. Like, how can you you can't start that far back <laughs> for them?
1: Yeah, like they. Why are they here? Because they were already in school for a couple of years when the virus hit. I mean, so. th- these little ones you see here in the scene, they probably never attended. Yeah, and still so from weird. school, you know. Well, but I
2: loved how he gets down on their level. Like he's like, mm-hmm. "What's another word that sounds like these?" And the kids are staring at him blankly. Even Chloe and Patsy are like, "Yeah, Ryan, like, what's what's the word, right?" <laughs> <laughs> and I often, I almost wonder if Patsy and Chloe, for those first couple classes, were expected to simply be an example for the other kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know what I mean? Because like. They obviously could answer this question, but if you notice, they're not ever expected to raise their hand in volunteer information. So maybe, just maybe, you know, like Celine was like, can you guys please come to school and be a good example for the other children, you know, or something. But I love how Ryan gets down close at their eye level and then, you know, gives them an example and then they all happily give them an answer. Look at their little faces. <laughs> like, oh, so cute. That. We know that word. And then he's like, yeah, good job, guys. And, super cute. Super cute. Patsy and Chloe are giving him thumbs up on the sidelines. Too great.
0: Yeah, let's look at the flip side to that. Because obviously, K.C. is not going to school. He instead is freeing the hunger from his sewer prison after reminding him that he now owes him. And meanwhile, Lex also starts his new job as a market supervisor, but he quickly sets to work extorting the traders. Um, yeah, panel, like, what'd you make of those two?
1: Lex is Casey's biggest hero, <laughs> you know? It's, he doesn't feel bad about not being able to read in his case, or just not knowing stuff like that, because Lex can't either. And Lex is his hero, so he, he doesn't, think he needs to bother with learning such things.
2: I feel like Casey and Lex both in this episode speak to the heart of the Mallrats' biggest problem. That they don't have any system in place to regulate the rules or the following Mm -hmm. of their rules. For example, they already expressed that the only way they were able to get these young children into school is they basically had to bribe them into the building Mm -hmm. with offers of food. So what is their system in place to make sure these children continue coming to school? you know, are able to get to the mall to go to class. Do you even know where these children belong, who they belong to, you know? um, There is no system in place. I guess it's just, oh, we have an open school and we'll try to get kids off the street to come in every day. You're going to do that every day, you know? um, And the fact that, for example, Casey literally lives in the building Mm -hmm. and they couldn't keep track of him and make sure he came to school. I'm like, you guys, come on, like... Clearly, this is a messed up system when even you have three students in your own mall that you have to keep track of and you've already lost one. You have no idea where he is and you, there's nobody tracking him. Now. There's nobody making him come to class, you know. Um, and then, of course, you have Lex. He's your market supervisor and he's already pulling corruptive tactics in the marketplace. And where's who's making sure that this is being regulated and that people aren't being screwed over? You know, like this is their biggest problem. Like, you guys decided to take upon yourself to handle everything in the city. Every service that people need, you said the mall rats will provide it. The mall rats will c- take care of Like, what are you, Starfleet? You need to be able to regulate all of this if you're going to be in charge of it, you know? And I wouldn't go to the marketplace if I discovered immediately that the supervisor was corrupted. You know, and I was, oh, I have to pay him off, you know? Um, mm mm-hmm. So... The fact that, for Pete's sake, they've got some guy locked up or stealing from the marketplace. There's nobody guarding him. The kids are able to sneak down there several times. Casey's able to get Mm -hmm. down there with a freaking key and get the guy out. (laughs) Why isn't this prisoner being watched? Why hasn't this prisoner Mm -hmm. been put on trial? Like. What is this, Judge Dredd? Like, you just put him in chains, unsupervised, in a dungeon. That was his consequence for stealing. I I don't, their system of government is such a disaster. I don't know why their Bill of Rights
0: exists. Yep. (laughs) We said the same thing.
1: (laughs) I mean, especially since KC is able to feed him rotten tomatoes. That means they've been starving this prisoner as well. Right. I'm like, what the frick is going on?
2: Nobody even, this guy was able to just leave. Like, Casey let him go. Yeah. And there was nobody there who saw this, had no idea what happened to him, and didn't see him leave the building. Like, this was an outer... This is inner corruption. Your whole Mm -hmm. system is broken. You have no right to be in charge of anything. And there's Bray and Danny patting themselves on the back about the optimism they could see in the streets. Like, shut (laughs) up, you two. Get out of here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but-
2: Bray and Danny really bring out my eat the rich sensibility. Mm-hmm. Like, they are so one percenters in their own bubbles right now. Like, they make me sick.
0: He spends one day helping clean up the street. He's like, yeah, can- <laughs> this is very <really> fantastic. Ugh.
1: <laughs> you know, when you just said that, I suddenly realized why Bray and his brother did not get along very well.
0: And, uh, yeah, st- sticking with KC, I... A really interesting scene happens there. What did you make of his lies concerning the whereabouts of Ebony? I mean, he, he has
2: no motivation to tell anybody where she was running off to. If anything, this solved a problem. You know, um, he knows that Ebony was going off to see Spike. I mean, isn't Casey the one I don't, again, I don't remember yeah. the details of the last episode, but wasn't yeah. he the one who he told her about yeah. Spike and that's why she went off. Mm-hmm. Now she didn't come back. Like, so you have two sides of the coin. Either Casey could be concerned he'd be in trouble for sending mm-hmm. her off into potential danger. Or he's just like, wow, that's solved a problem.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. she's
2: gone now. Like, whoa, that worked out for me. Um, yeah. I don't, he has no motivation to tell anybody, like, what he knows. And um, nobody's upset that Ebony's gone. You know what I mean? Like, there's nobody like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Like, I hope she's okay. Nobody cares. They're actively joking about her being missing. You know, like, maybe she got the hint and left. She knows we don't like her. They're open. Mm -hmm. They're discussing the fact that they all believe she tried to kill Tyson. And not a single person goes, well, maybe. No, everybody's Mm -hmm. on board with that. So Mm -hmm. what reason does Casey have to be like, okay, I feel like I should tell you guys something. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs)
1: Yeah. No, you're totally right there. I mean, if Casey would tell them, then they would feel, he knows they would feel obligated to go look for her and she might return. And there are two bad things that will happen. She will be mad at him and she'll be back. Yeah. (laughs) And he doesn't want either of those things. It may even hint at some petty
2: revenge for Casey because what does Mm -hmm. he say when Tyson kind of presses him like you were the last person I saw talking to her Casey don't you remember what you talked about and he goes maybe she was having a go at me just like you guys always do like I almost feel like there's just a sense of resentment like he managed to get rid of Ebony so she can't give him Mm -hmm. and he's calling them out for giving him crap too Mm -hmm. you know so it's just like I got rid of her you know so she can't mess with me I'm certainly not going to help you guys get her back. So that you can get mad, so you can get mad at me, you know what I mean? No, no, screw it. I don't owe you people anything.
0: (laughs) I would have agreed with that if, like, like Ebony and Casey had kind of made a little understanding with each other. Like, yeah, they were kind of on board with each other. So I don't don't know. He's like, she's one of his only uh, allies within them all, really. Um,
1: Yeah, but Lex is back in a place of power, sort of, you know, with her gone, his true hero is back in charge, and Lex is more likely to give him what he wants.
2: Also, I wouldn't consider it that they were allies at all. The only thing Casey agreed to is he was like, I will give you my vote if I get a piece of the action. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. on the antidote. So she had to win leadership and be able to put her plan in place to profit Mm -hmm. from the antidote. She didn't do either of those things. Casey owes her nothing. Yeah. Like, that was all. That was was a business deal that didn't go through. That's how Casey looks at it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she's the only one who treats him at a level that he appreciates. Yeah, like, and she, no else, no more but, does she at all. but she <laughs>
2: was also mean to him and hit him in the head, and you know, he don't like her. So <laughs> I just, I, I, just think it makes perfect sense that Casey's like, bye.
1: Yeah, I guess. Especially with all the frustration. Lex spoke of before he was kicked out for a while you know he he was there to witness that he knew how mad it made Lex and oh he'd do anything to make him happy
2: it's possible that Casey is just kind of sick of everybody right now even Lex because you notice it's not like they're having any warm fuzzy connected Mm -hmm. moments I think Casey's just like He's convinced at this point that nobody in his tribe has his back. Nobody in his tribe is on his side. Nobody in his tribe particularly cares about him. No. So he's, he's just looking out for number one right now. Mm-hmm. You know That's where he is. Even Lex. Even Lex was like, I don't give a crap about you, kid. You're on your own. You know. And Casey has just been flying solo. And that's all he's been focused on. his His own benefits, what works for him. Because he's like, I can't depend on any of you to care about me or look out for me. You know, sure, I'm staying here because it's my best bet, but I don't give a crap about (laughs) y'all. I hate you people. You suck.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, panel. (laughs) Um, Deciding that they need to go on the attack. Danny writes an article in the Amulet about how the antidote is working in a bid to quell all the rumors that is no longer needed. Only to be confronted by Ellie, who accuses her of trying to build her new world on deceit. That's not true, Ellie. Yes, it is! She's always been on this big crusade to save the world. She's using you. She's using all of us! You're wrong, okay? We're all in this. We're just buying some time. That may be what you're doing, Bray, but I'm not so sure about her. Always talking about this wonderful new world we're building. How is it any different from the old one? She wants to build it on lies and deceit, just like her old man did. Must run in the family. So yeah, um, what did you make of those scenes? Uh, do you have any sympathy for Danny?
2: No. <sighs>
0: Go, Ellie. Really, Thumbs up to that girl.
2: <laughs> what Bray and Danny did it, I was watching the scene today, you guys, and it's been a while since I've watched it. So when you know they, they're conf- Bray and Danny are confronted with the fact that, oh crap, these kids are fighting us, they not they're starting to... Everyone's starting to believe they don't need the antidote. What do we do? There was this moment when Danny starts speaking, and I thought, "Oh, here we go again. Danny's about to backpedal, just like she always does, even though this was her idea." And then, no, she takes it a step further, and I was like, "Oh, I forgot. I forgot that this was what Danny did." And I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for her to grow grow horns. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like there's no subtlety to how evil she and Bray are being right now. You know, and he is gung-ho. This isn't Bray being reluctantly dragged into it by Danny. He is there for it. He is a hundred percent behind her. Like she even says,
1: mm-hmm. You're
2: not gonna like it. Like she's acknowledging that what she wants to do is not a good thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah. Bray's
2: like, try me. Try me. I'm willing to do anything. Like he is so on board with her right now. And whatever.
0: Whatever it will take to
2: keep our power, Danny, I really am on your side. What they did, it was disgusting. It was order. like
0: completely out of order.
2: <laughs> and uh, I loved what Ellie said to her. I, you know, I was like, "That's it." It pissed me off that Bray gets to sit there next to Danny, like he didn't play a part in this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I, that's the only thing I would have changed is for Ellie to go off on both of them. Granted, in her defense, she it was, you know. She knew Danny was behind this. She absolutely mm-hmm. Danny was the first one to say, you know, Ellie, we can explain. You know what I mean? But I do wish she'd gone off on both of them because they were both fully responsible. Bray's the one literally passing this stuff out. The newspaper mm-hmm. is Ellie and Jack's baby, you know? And mm-hmm. this is like the government coming in and taking over your printing presses, you know? And uh, I've, I have no excuses for them. This was disgusting. They both knew it was disgusting. Mm-hmm. They just convinced themselves that this was okay, and I don't blame... I, I'm like, yeah, Ellie, I mean, Danny, you're not to blame for what your dad did, but how are you any better than him? Like, what is this world you're trying to build, you know, if it's based on all of this disgustingness that was swept away with the virus? Like, what kind, What are you trying to recreate, Danny? You know, I, I like that she calls him out, like, you guys are trying to... Make this beautiful new world, and it's disgusting. It's ugly and it's corrupted, and that's the world you're literally creating. You know, corruption from the top down. And uh, I know I don't feel sorry for Danny. I don't feel sorry for Bray. I just wish Bray had gotten more of that bullet because mm-hmm. he's right with her. It wasn't just Danny. It was totally Bray was on board with her. And I don't like how the script gives it all to Danny, even though yeah, it was her idea. But Bray was on board. He wanted to do it with her. Yeah. He should he should have gotten the barrel of that shotgun too. But he's our pretty boy band leader, so
1: I just hated the fact that he just simply says to Danny, Yeah, you're the only reason I wanna live. It's just it made me wanna throw up seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he's, he's sitting there going with a, yeah, I, I, did, I didn't care about anyone and everyone could have died and gotten a virus for all I cared. And then I had you. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, sure, it shows that Bray really didn't care about anyone other than himself, or at least not even about himself, as he so nicely puts it. So that's in line with him not even trying to find Trudy at first. But just the fact that he says he's only alive because he met her, that's just blah.
2: I feel like they're trying too hard to recreate scenes that he had with Amber.
1: hmm
2: You know, like he'll they'll have scenes where he and Danny are in a specific place where they share a moment and it very it always mirrors something that he shared with Amber. You know, and so here they are on the stairs. And I remember a really specific scene of Amber and Bray on the stairs connecting. It was right after mm-hmm. Dal had Left, you know, and it was the Mm. first time these two were really connecting on a sincere level about how they'd messed up with their friendships, you know. And here I'm like, you guys are trying so hard to sell me on this relationship and how important it is and how it saved Bray's life. And I just don't care. I don't care about, like I said before, Bray and Danny, go be happy with your selfish asses somewhere else. You know what I mean. I just don't want you here anymore, doing more damage to the people around you. You don't care about anybody but yourselves. Just go away. Go away. <laughs> like, you can be in love. I just don't want to see it, and I don't want to hear. So go, <laughs> go, yes. Romeo and Juliet. This thing, elope and leave. <laughs> right? And again, I'm not blaming Danny for this. It's not her fault. It's the way she was written. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if anything, Bray is more cringy. Yeah. But the way he's laying his feelings on Danny so freaking thick. I would have loved this storyline could have been saved for me if by the time it, when we finally get to that climax where Danny has to confess how she feels about him, if she was just like, I don't feel that way about you, that would have saved this whole thing for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was. Bray who fell for Danny because of course you reminded him of Amber and Danny was just like, yeah, I don't swing that way. Or you're just not my type or
1: something. Cool. <laughs> that would have yeah. been amazing. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, or at least after she got what she wanted with the antidote and everything, she would have been, yeah. Okay. No, I was just using you for the power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have
2: been great if she had been like, yeah, I told you I wasn't interested in that kind of thing. I get it. You're using me to get over your ex-girlfriend and I can't be her. I know what you're doing. You know, um, that would have been really interesting because man, they're laying it on thick with how many times Bray feels the need to tell Danny that she is the end all be all savior of his existence. And (laughs) he never cared for anything until she came along and
1: she's okay, fine, whatever. (laughs) And then later we'll see how much he truly cared. (laughs) Oh, my
0: gosh, you guys. Oh, this my is, gosh. Just like the writers are just trolling us. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: it's all, you're the only reason I'm alive. Oh, you're gone. Bye now.
2: <laughs> see, See, that's what's so unfair. Okay, I may not like Danny. I may not care for this relationship. But holy crap, if you're going to set Danny up as the one who saved Bray from his abyss, and it's like, mm. fine. Okay, fine. He was depressed. I can understand that he was. He didn't care about anyone around him. That's what depression does to you. So Danny was the one who gave him that spark of fire and gave him a reason to keep going. And he's hyper focused on her because of that. Fine, but don't do that to Danny. And then write her off as soon as Amber comes back and have Bray literally say, "You know, I. You know, I'm. I think she always knew that it was you." are you kidding me you're gonna tell me in this scene that danny has any clue that he's still in love with amber
1: <laughs> hey, Ray, you are a
2: sack of gosas.
1: that is crap
2: <laughs> danny didn't deserve that you know what i mean like i don't like her but she didn't deserve to be cast off like that you yeah. know i gotta find out what happened to her but you know like jeez bray holy crap <laughs> I would have way more respect for him if he had literally looked Amber in the eye and said, yeah, like, Danny gave me a reason to live. Amber, I thought you were dead. You know what I mean? I mourned you. I grieved you. She brought me back to life. I got to find out what happened to her, you know? But no... I'm sure she always understood. I'm sure she understood. <laughs> <laughs> she always knew. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. She always knew, so we don't have to search for her. Nope. Yeah, and I can, she can totally, I can, in this scene, I can see that Danny totally knows that Bray is still deeply in love with Amber, you know? Yep. And understandings um, all over her face. <laughs> mm-hmm. Writers, what the frick? That was so wrong. Come on. What are you doing to us?
1: Oh my gosh. I I just think that's so
2: unfair to her. It's very unfair. I mean it would've made more sense if Danny was the one chasing Bray. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you could argue later, like, yeah, you know, she was a comfort for him. But no, he's fully pursuing Danny. Like this is the second time in three episodes that he's told Danny that she is his reason for living, that she was the one who mm-hmm. gave him the direction and the spark in that he was in a pit of despair until she showed up, you know, again, six hours after Amber's death, whatever. Um, Like, if you're gonna do that, then own it and respect it. Show this couple the respect they deserve, you know? And, um... Mm -hmm. Because there are Bray and Danny fans out there. They don't deserve Mm -hmm. to be kicked in the teeth, you know? And it's just like, well, we already... Destroyed the Brambers, and then the Bray and Dannys get it too. I was like, well, sorry, guys. You can't ship Bray with anybody, because they'll just destroy you. (laughs) You're right. Maybe they are trolling us at this point.
1: (laughs) I mean, we do need to keep seeing Bray as available to to all of us. (laughs) Especially when watching it as a teenage girl. Boy band, told ya. (laughs) That's all he
2: is. Oh, man i I like Ella in the scene. I'll say that I think she looks really cute, and I do think mm-hmm. she manages she manages to convey that hopefulness that you have when you're falling for someone and you truly want to believe that it could happen. I think Ella does convey that very well mm-hmm. when she when she looks at dwayne. dwayne is f- whatever um just, <laughs> I don't have anything to say about his performance i don't. It seems weird. It seems a little off. Maybe it seems a little creepy. Maybe it seems a little desperate. But I will say that Ella seems actually kind of nice in the scene. The way she's reacting to what he's saying to her and the hopefulness I can see in her eyes as she's gazing at him. Like she wants this, but she's, you know, she's a little cautious, a little scared to yeah. go for it. And I thought she did a good job with that. I, I have to compliment Ella because I hate Danny so much. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I need to make sure that if Ella Hooks ever sees this link, it wasn't you, baby girl. I promise. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: she had
0: she had to deal with what was written for. <laughs> what was badly written? Was, uh... Yeah. Okay, before we get to our final thoughts, um, just quickly, panel, like, what did you make of Lex's half, half, half-hearted apology to Celine?
1: Ugh. He's, he's just so gross I, I understand
2: That the writer is a story Everything requires us to Forget about what Lex did And just move on
1: mm-hmm.
2: Even to the point where the victim Is just like let's move on I don't want to make a big deal about it anymore Which just it never sits well with me mm-hmm. I, I hate the fact That the victim of an assault Has to Make it better for everyone else You know, I hate that. It's like a, it's like a child being abused in a family and they're talked into staying silent about it because the family will break up if they say something. So the child doesn't, you know, they're, they're manipulated into keeping their mouth shut because if the family fell apart, it'd be your fault. Huh? You know, even though you're the Mm -hmm. victim. And I feel like Celine was forced into that position and I didn't like it. It'll never sit well with me that she has to live with her abuse, like her assaulter you know, because it just makes peace for everyone else. It bugs me that everyone was so fine with Lex coming back and like, oh hi. Like, I'm like, dude, he was gone for less than a week, and everything's fine now. So for me, I'm going I'm not gonna lie, I'm biased toward, against this. Like, it's gross, it's icky. I don't give a crap about his apology. I don't think it's in any, any way endearing that he's like, yeah, you know, I fell for my girl, fell for you. I'm just like. Celine should not be subjected to your presence, you know. And I hate that you're allowed to just be around, and everybody's so supportive of you because you got up on time. I
1: just uh, it's, it's also, why on earth is he telling her? Yeah, I fell for you, you know, because that's what he's saying with this, as if he actually had feelings for her, and she wasn't just, you know. A female body near him. <laughs> See what I mean? It's a way of, like, dismissing what he actually did. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. As an, they're trying to paint it as, oh, I came on to you because I fell for you. Like,
1: no, you tried to force yourself on her. They're not the same thing, yeah. you know. She was a female with a pulse and she paid you attention. That's all she was to him.
2: Oh, yeah. It's just icky. And, you know, again, the writers, the story, everything wants to just move on. They want to move past what Lex did. And the fans want to move past what Lex did. And I'm just like, Ugh. I just feel bad that this is what Celine has to deal with, that she has to see him every day and be like, it's cool. It's totally cool. It's fine. How are you, Lex? And be super nice to him. And so st- I just, it pisses me off that she was forced into that position, you know, just so that everybody else could be comfortable. And, you know, so I'm just, I can't be highly opinionated about it because shows do this all the time, you know? And, mm. It's just another example of underplaying what Lex did and moving on, Mm. not wanting to deal with it. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I respect season one more because they actually put more effort into dealing with Lex's uh, attempted assault of Zandra Mm -hmm. and the consequences of it and the iffy choices people made after that. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's a little weird to find that apparently this is Ray's take on sexual assault, you know? It's fine. It's fine. He just fell for her, guys. That's all. He just upset her. It's fine. He just needed a few days on the street, and he needed to lose his boots. And then he can come home, and everything's fine. Celine said it was fine, you guys. That's how this works.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I was gonna let you go after you begged! Get it through your head, Spike. I will never beg! You beg! I'll break you! That's a promise! However long it takes, I'll break you! That leads us to our final thoughts of the episode. Overpowered by Spike and his henchmen, Ebony is initially defiant and refuses to beg for mercy as Spike wants, even striking him in the stomach and showing him up amongst his peers. However, she becomes increasingly desperate at being chained up alone and starts having flashbacks to being confined by Zoot as a test. Um, so Panel, what did you make of Ebony's predicament and the trauma of her past that is revealed?
2: Um, I liked it. I liked that, um, we were just getting further clues as to some of the trauma that Ebony has suffered. Um, you know, because there's just hints to how precarious her power base was in season one and how she reacts to that. And obviously, I mean, it's clear to anybody that being in control. Is the most important thing to Ebony. Mm -hmm. Not just for the power. But for her sake of well-being. You know. Like if I'm in control of the situation. Nothing bad can happen to me. You know. And how she reacts to not having that control.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: I thought it was interesting that. When you know. She has to spar with Spike. She's not afraid. She's fine with it. It's when she's locked up. Calling for him. And he doesn't answer. That's when you see something triggered in ebony like she has no control over the situation she doesn't know where he is she doesn't know if he can hear her she doesn't know if he's left her i thought like the way she that vulnerable way she's like i called for you and you didn't answer you could hear it in her voice that was that was triggering that fear Mm -hmm. of being left alone you know everything else he did she was like whatever i can handle this you know but That being isolated and having no control over your situation whatsoever, she couldn't manipulate him because he wasn't answering her. You know what I mean? There's nothing she could do. I I thought that was very interesting and consistent with what I've already seen in Ebony. And the fact that this is all centered on him wanting her to beg. This is all psychological, Mm -hmm. which tells me a lot more about the Locos, how they clearly used a lot of psychological torment on each other to, you know, dominate one another. It wasn't just physical Mm -hmm. stuff. And so I thought that was really interesting that this is the one inch of herself she refuses to give Spike. Mm -hmm. I won't beg you. I won't give in and admit defeat like that. You know, I'll admit defeat in other ways, but I will not give you the one thing you want from me. And then, of course, getting this flashback of Zoot doing to her, like this was some much needed added dimension to Mm -hmm. Martin.
1: Yeah Okay Yeah How, how full on psycho we went
2: Uh Bray I think we need to discuss your memories of your little brother
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Cause at this point I am convinced he was killing small animals in the backyard You just <laughs> didn't know
0: <laughs> Yeah you do just make up one voice <laughs> and switch into it Like I, I'm gonna psychologically torture you Oh uh... <laughs> I totally
1: get why Trudy ran (laughs) Like oh
2: wow It's such an interesting thing to learn about him It's one thing for Zoot It's one thing for Martin to crack Mm -hmm. Because his parents died And then go Mm -hmm. out and be a street thug It's one thing to do that You know he's just a kid Expressing his anger But it's another This moment that we get to see with him at Ebony Is so freaking creepy (laughs) <laughs> the, way he, the way he says to her, like, she's like, how long do I have to stay in there? And her trepidation, like her lack of trust, like what is he going to do to me now? Which again, mm-hmm. just adds layers to what has already happened yeah. between them. And he's just like, you know, maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe never. Yeah. And the way he shuts that door on her. Mm-hmm. And the look in his face, that sadistic glee he had. For me, that's where I'm just like I don't think Martin was ever a sweet kid. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I think he was always the Ted Bundy type. You know. What I mean? <laughs> I, uh, I'm sorry, Ray. Um, You keep your rose-tinted <laughs> memories of your brother, but I don't think he was ever the person you thought he was. He was a lunatic. <laughs> uh, it's
0: not to imagine. <laughs> Because
2: as you said Lance You don't just wake up one day (laughs) And psychologically torture somebody (laughs)
1: Uh, And I I just You can see in Ebony With her refusal to beg I actually thought it was a flashback from this episode But it's from later When she has a flashback Where she's told by Zoot That she's not allowed to beg Zoot's woman never begs Oh yeah and that's been drilled into her head so many times that there's, yeah, a lot has to happen before she will beg. Um, I, I just, it's a really, I like the, uh, the,
2: the chance to look into some of Ebony's psychology and her mm-hmm. experiences, but I also like the fact that it doesn't feel like it's trying to tug on your heartstrings and make you feel bad for Ebony. Like, I think the way it's filmed is well done because I never felt like, oh, I should feel super bad for Ebony. It was just more like, oh, wow, this is an Mm -hmm. interesting thing to learn that she went through, you know, Mm -hmm. especially since up until this point, there hasn't been a lot of emphasis on she and Zoot's relationship and what it was, Mm -hmm. you know, again, Zoot was just a thug kid. That's how he was painted. And then we get to see that, oh, once he was a weird (laughs) schoolboy. A little creepy and stalkerish, you know. And now we get this. That should have been the.
0: (laughs) 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 The hints were all there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Run, Trudy, run. Um, So, yeah, I just find this insight into even further the depths of depravity of this young man and how even Ebony was somewhat of a victim of his. And at the same time, I still don't feel like it's excusing Ebony's actions. You know, it's just, these are kids playing with fire, seeing how far they can go. And this is what they were willing to do to each other, you know? And, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I just, I I thought it was really cool. And I, I liked the way it was shot. It's very eerie. It's very cold. You know, it's stylistic because I'm sure that's not how it actually looked. Where she was put in this room But it's, it's painted from a psychological Angle of how it affected Ebony How it yeah. felt to her It I felt
1: dark
2: right. It felt dark and eerie and cold You know what I mean And um, the, the, the echoes You know all that stuff And even you know again This is from her perception of what happened And I just thought that was really cool That this is Ebony's uh, breaking You know this is the thing This is her trigger it's not a trigger I would have expected from her hmm. mm-hmm. to be locked up alone and forgotten. That is not the trigger I would have picked off my bingo card for Ebony. So I thought that was really interesting.
1: Yeah, because we've seen her locked up before in season one, but she was never alone like this. That's true. And she actually was never out of control. Mm-hmm. And, well, in all honesty, I think she knew that Bray would never... Just fully leave her alone forever. Stuck in there. that see, at least trusted in that part.
2: And Meryl plays this so well. I love how she dances mm-hmm. between looking completely confident to Spike, you know? And then as soon as he's out of sight, the fear... Yeah, that sinks in in her expression. Like, I actually don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of. Like, I love what Spike says because I actually feel Spike here. You know, because Ebony is insufferable in so many ways, and he's screaming at her, "Just shut up, Ebony!" And I'm like, "Yeah, I feel you there, Spike. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I feel you. She never does. She's always." Picking at your loose threads of your sanity, you know, and, um, and you know, he finally has, it's like having your boss locked up in your trunk, you know, and so I felt spike. And then when he's like, when she's like, you know, you're running out of time spike. Cause my friends will come and find me. And he's like, you don't have any friends. No. Oh my gosh. Like the look on her face when he leaves the room and she's like, He's right. There's nobody looking for me. Come on. Nobody gives a crap because I burnt all those bridges. And yet you can tell there might be a sliver of hope that I've made myself necessary enough that maybe they will maybe they will try to find me. That desperate maybe there's somebody who gives a crap about me, you know, but at the same time being like, I
1: doubt it. Oh crap. You know, <laughs> I mean, come on. She should know by now that Bray doesn't care for anyone but Danny. <laughs> he ain't
2: coming to look for any girl. This disappearance and the mall rats reaction to it at least, though, makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this at least makes sense that they're just like, they just went on with their day. Yeah. You know, like, oh, Ebony didn't show up for work. Whatever. You know, who cares? Like yeah. She's gone. Yay. <laughs> they're joking about it for Pete's sake, you know? Right. And, I, I do think that at least makes sense. Like, she yeah. did that, Ebony. Unfortunately, you didn't give anyone a reason to care about you. They don't need you. They have the militia, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It's literally only when the militia stop cooperating. They're like, oh, crap. <laughs> Ebony? Ebony? <laughs> so uh, that, that moment when, like, Spike says that, I was like, ooh, I cut deep. Mm-hmm. We ain't got no friends, Ebony. She's like, Crap. This friendship thing people keep speaking of.
1: (laughs) Like, sorry, sweetie, it's not enough to just make yourself necessary. Yeah, necessary and not hated would be a good one. (laughs) Right. That would have been a great starting point. If she was necessary and they didn't hate her, they didn't have to love her, just not hate her. But then again, you know, it's almost like... I don't know. I feel like Ebony
2: makes herself way more necessary than, say, like, Danny does, mm-hmm. you know? And I actually, I don't think Danny's any more likable than Ebony.
0: <laughs> nope.
1: <laughs> I like Ebony a lot
2: more. For Pete's sake, Ebony is responsible for Trudy being with The Chosen, and I still like her more than <laughs> Danny.
0: Because <laughs> she's just written well. She's written so well. <laughs>
2: I'm like, I've watched this girl betray my favorite character of all time, <laughs> and I'm still like, I like her.
0: And, oh yeah, um, was anyone surprised at the return of Tysan's prophetic dreaming?
2: It's almost like someone remembered she could do that.
1: Her Spidey sends a stingly. I'm like, why did it kick in now? <laughs>
0: I was probably remembering, I was like, oh yeah, she had that with <laughs> Eagle Mountain. <laughs> it, like, it suddenly came yeah. back. <laughs> she, she never had dreams about
1: Danny, though, and her father.
2: I could have accepted if uh, Tyson's uh, spiritual awakening dreams only happened over really important plot points. <laughs> but, you know, so I'm totally cool With Eagle Mountain. You know, she spent yeah. a week meditating and like fasting and, and getting in touch with the ether. And the ether gave her an answer, you know, and it was Mm -hmm. great. It coincided with Jack and there was a nice thematic blend Mm -hmm. of what that was about. But her randomly dreaming about Ebony (laughs) feels a little like, it feels a little convenient. They were like, crap, we're going to need someone to find Ebony. And we've given no one a reason to find (laughs) Ebony, (laughs) Because they only find her because of Tysan's dream. Nobody gave a crap, okay? They find her completely by accident, and it's just because Tysan dreamt about it.
1: Um, so... (laughs) Maybe, maybe, just thinking about this, maybe the only reason Tysan did not dream about Trudy being taken by the Chosen is because she got blown up and her magical connection vanished for a while. (laughs) (laughs)
2: She lost her Wi-Fi
1: It it wasn't until she stopped Taking the antidote That she could suddenly do this again
2: Oh my gosh I'm trying to think of Is there any like Thematic reason why Maybe Tyson only has prophetic dreams About the things that are supposed to happen So she didn't dream about Trudy Because they weren't supposed to save Trudy but they are supposed to save ebony. I don't know. I just this is
1: just some convenient writing. <laughs> but then why doesn't he dream about the man from the sky later?): <sighs> uh, uh. <laughs> Or maybe that was just because he wanted to be with them.:
2: Oh. <laughs> it's
1: because she, she was a spy, Remember.
2: Sabine? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he, she knew about the man from the sky. <laughs> yep. Uh,
0: it's, it's, um, uh, we,
1: don't, it's, we don't talk about that.
2: I honestly just feel like they're reaching a little bit. This felt a little like, what? You know, like I said, I thought they set it up much better in season one with her dreaming about Eagle Mountain. Um but I haven't seen her with a hookah or a calf can or breathing an incense or anything that would lead her to suddenly dreaming about Ebony. She hasn't shown any concern for Ebony's disappearance, not more than asking Casey a question. Mm. So it just seems a little weird that she would just suddenly have a dream and be like, Ebony, she's in trouble. You know what I mean? And I, you know.
0: I was just thinking maybe, I suppose maybe they're thinking, because they're connected via that life and death moment. Maybe that's how she's had this connection with her <gasps> but yeah, yeah it's, it's quite a reach but <laughs> it
2: would suck be, if anyone was like connected to their potential murderer <laughs> like well now we are connected to time and space
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh um, yeah i mean <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, aside from the silliness and how abrupt it is that she has this, mm-hmm. and how again, what was made to be deep in season one has been watered down for convenience. I will say this for it: I do think there is something kind of fun and interesting that the very person that Ebony tried to eliminate mm-hmm. is the re- is the person who is going to save her. Yeah, I do. I do like that ironic juxtaposition of the situation. That she tried to get rid of uh, Tysan. And it wasn't even personal. It wasn't even like, I hate her. It was just, she was in the way. And it's this person who ends up saving her life. I do think Mm -hmm. that's kind of cool. Again, they don't do anything interesting with it. But I do think that's kind of nice. You just never know the roles people are going to play in your life.
0: Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Because if Ebony had succeeded in doing what she was going to do. And she'd end up in this situation... It would have been nobody. She She'd would have left to die. You totally screwed.
0: Yeah, I guess that's the moral. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the moral
2: mm-hmm. is... Because if she had, if she had managed to kill Tysan
0: and you know tried
2: to frame Danny for it, eventually Bray would have still done what he did. He would have still told everybody that Ebony also knows the formula to save Danny mm-hmm. from a very terrible fate. Because people would be even more baying for her blood if Tyson had actually died. Mm-hmm. So. Ebony wouldn't have won her trial. She would not have been able to get rid of uh, Danny. So she would have still had to frame Spike to get herself out of trouble. Mm -hmm. And then Spike would have still done this to her. She would have ended up dead in that dumpster. Because there would have been nobody to dream about her or
1: try to find her. And with the way she treated Bob, he wouldn't even try. (laughs) There would be nobody. There would be nobody. (laughs) She would
2: have. That would have been it for her. I don't even know if that was fully planned out, but I just think it's an interesting uh, mm-hmm. consequence.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So that brings Series 2, Episode 26 to a close. Thank you very much to the panel. And if you'd like to take part in a future episode of the podcast, you can send us a message over on our Facebook page or fill out like the form of the website, thetribe.co.uk. So we'll see you next time. Until then, bye. Bye. Bye.